You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Psalm 126 is a household personal psalm to Jacqueline and I. The Lord gave it to us um, in 2013, and this psalm has sustained us through a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And whenever it shows up in the lectionary, it just it means something to me. So Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. And now a reading from the gospel. A reading from the Gospel of Luke 1, 46 through 55. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, the word of the Lord. There is so much good emotion in the room. You'll drive around and you'll see some signs out now and it'll say something like, keep Christ in. And you've heard me say before, we don't need to keep Christ in Christmas. He's already there. You can't take him out. We need to keep ourselves in Christmas. Uh, One of New York's best pastors, he pastors down in Queens, Rich Viotis, he said, we don't need to keep Christ in Christmas, but we do need to keep Christ in Christians. It's important that we don't get lost in stances and slogans and forget that we have a responsibility to repent before the Lord and to keep Christ in our lives so that we stay in Christmas. Jesus will always be there. It's just that sometimes we're the innkeeper and we don't go to the manger and put ourselves into Christmas because we're busy, because we have profit to make, we have things to be productive over. And so we tire ourselves in the inn when Christmas is happening in the barn. We are in the season of Advent, and the title of today's sermon is Keep Advent in Adventure. Keep Advent in adventure. We celebrate the liturgical year of the church so that for thousands of years now, so that we can walk with Jesus through all of life's ups and downs. Somebody that left here a few months ago, uh, maybe a little more than that, uh, called me and said, hey, I'm having trouble finding a church. I go there and I go to a few services and I don't feel connected. And I said, 
these days, in order to know if a church is for you, you have to go there and stay there for a year. You have to witness that family through all of life's ups and downs. You have to witness them in times of celebration and in times of famine and times of sadness and times of tragedy and times of disagreement. You need to witness them when they're wrong, when they're off. You need to witness them when they're on. And it's the same with the liturgical year. We have to walk with Jesus through the whole year, through the ups and downs. We have to walk with him when there's celebrations and feasts. We have to walk with him when he's raising Lazarus from the dead. We have to walk with him when he's escaping because people are trying to stone him. We have to walk with him when he's mourning the loss of his cousin who was beheaded. We have to walk with him when thousands of people are following him and it gives you notoriety and maybe even a little celebrity to walk with him. And we also have to walk with him in Gethsemane when Peter's denying him and Thomas is doubting him and Judas is betraying him. We have to walk with Jesus through the whole year for us to even begin to understand who our Savior is and the life he's calling us to. And so it begins in Advent. The Christian year begins in Advent. And in Advent, there are three hopes in Advent. And Stephanie, again, without me saying much about what I'm going to talk about today, there is a lot of unity between what Stephanie was singing and talking about and this message. But Advent has three hopes. Christ was here. Christ will come again. And Christ returns to us every single day. So we remember that Christ came, we anticipate his return, and in between those two realities and all the pain, suffering, and celebration, we hope each day that he comes to us, reminding us that he both came and will come again. In Revelation twenty-two thirteen, Jesus gives us his name, and he says, I am Alpha and Omega. Say this with me. Say, I am Alpha and Omega. He says his name, and his name, his name is Advent. Because his name is Alpha, the one who was here. His name is Omega, the one who will return. And his name is I Am, the one who's here and present every single day. His name encompasses history. His name is the entirety of your story, and long before it started, and long after it's done. His name is the life of your children. His name is the life of this church. His name is every struggle you have had, are having, and will have. His name is all of human history, and then beyond. His name is everything. Paul says that faith, hope, and love abide But the greatest of these is, why is love greater than faith and hope? Because faith and hope are like maternity clothes. We are pregnant with them. We walk differently because of them. But one day the world will give birth to the thing we had faith in, to the thing we've been hoping for, and we will no longer need the maternity clothes because we will be with the one we were having faith in. We will be with the one who we were hoping for, and the only thing that will outlast the maternity clothes is love. So right now as the church, we wear, we join Mary, pregnant with faith, pregnant with hope, 
as we carry Jesus and he carries us. This is a little bit about what Stephanie and I are going to be talking about next week. We carry him and he carries us. We are the Lord's shepherd. Because the body of Christ, we serve each other, yes? And as we serve each other, we are being the Lord's shepherd. But the Lord is also our shepherd. We place our lives in his hands, but he also places his life in ours when he gives us people, children, the needy, the broken, the poor, the hungry, the prisoner. This mutuality of submission and humility. Tish Harris Warren, that is a tough, tough word to say, tough name to say. She says this in her book on Advent. In the church calendar, every season of celebration is preceded by a season of preparation. Every season of celebration is preceded by a season of preparation. In Advent, we face the darkness before we celebrate the dawn. These are true and deep and heavy words. In Advent, we face the darkness before we celebrate the dawn. We prepare for Christmas not only with shopping lists and decorations, but by making space for mourning. We join Israel, Palestine, and all oppressed peoples in lamentation. We wait, as the hymn says, in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Advent is the season where we practice watching for grace. So many of us find ourselves in the spin of up and down, busy and calm. I don't really know about calm, but busy and then more busy and then crazier busy and then busy. We find ourselves in moments of tragedy, in moments of triumph. We find ourselves often simultaneously in seasons where we're enjoying our family and flooded with pictures of people whose families are being torn apart. And we have to somehow make sense. How do I move on in a season of transition? How do I move on in a season of loss? How do I navigate rightly a season of great success and prosperity? Listen, nothing has derailed the people of God in the Bible more than getting it right. Nothing has caused more idolatry than us having seasons of prosperity. What did Paul say? The secret of facing abundance and the secret of facing lack is I can do all things through Christ. Without Jesus, we can't face lack, but without Jesus, abundance will kill us. If you got what you were praying for and lost sight of Jesus, the answer to your prayers would become your demise. That's why... She says that every season of celebration must be preceded by a season of preparation. If you feel that you are in an overwhelmed season, it is likely because God is getting ready to bring you into a season that you've been praying for, but you don't have the muscles to handle the weight of that kind of prosperity yet. And so he's bringing you through this tumbling cycle of disorientation because he does not want to drop a blessing on you that is too heavy for you to carry. And you're ready? More than that, more than that, he doesn't want to drop a blessing into your life that won't immediately benefit somebody else who wasn't working as hard as you are for that blessing. He wants his blessings not to fall onto you, but to fall through you. 
because raise your hand if you've ever deserved one of his blessings. Listen, don't, don't raise your hand because I would have to, I wanted to cut you off before. Listen, when I, I sat there and when this service started and I heard you all singing, I literally fell into tears and I said, Lord, I do not deserve to pastor this place. What a blessing. Help me hold this church with, very lo- with a loose grip because I want to be free to enjoy, not have to keep, not have to hold, not have to control. Sometimes when you have a moment where it's with a child or a spouse or a friend or there's a healing, make sure you pray, Lord, help me hold this moment with loose hands. I don't want to hold on to this so tight I weigh everything else that happens against this moment. Why? Because the word adventure means this, the exhilarating and hazardous journey of exploring something new. The exhilarating and hazardous journey. Exhilarating and hazardous journey of exploring something new. And so many of us have had such a bad past that we just want to leave it and we weigh everything else against it. And some of us have had such good moments in the past that we want every new moment to be a reflection of those moments. And the reality is everything that has happened to you is serving to make you ready for the new things that are going to happen. But no new thing that God gives you is without the DNA of the past, period. Every new thing God drops into your life has his story woven into it. The drama, the trauma, the success, all of it, it's all part of who, you're gonna, who you are today and who you will be tomorrow. God wastes nothing. Nothing done to you, nothing harmful or helpful is ever wasted in the hands of Jesus. It's just that he makes all things new and works all things together for good. But not just the good things, all things, all things. Advent teaches us to avoid two words, optimism and despair. Advent teaches us to avoid two words that are traps, optimism and despair. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to repeat myself a lot for the rest of my life. Sometimes because it's good teaching and sometimes because I forgot that I said it before. Optimism is a positive outlook at over against the negation of the negative that is happening, which means Optimistic people are people who say, I'm not going to look at the bad. I'm not going to pay attention to the bad things that have happened to me. I'm not going to focus on the bad news in the world. I'm just going to focus on the good. And here's the thing. Jesus never does that. Thank God. Because if Jesus never looked at the bad, there are times where he wouldn't see me. There are times where he wouldn't see you. Everyone in this room should be happy that Jesus is not optimistic. If he ignored the bad and focused on the good, all it would ever be is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and nothing else. How many are glad Jesus doesn't just focus on the bad, but broke for it, inhabits it, and beautifies it every single day? Despair is a feeling that says it will never get better than it is now. 
We've maxed out. We've peaked. It's all downhill from here. Advent challenges optimism to become hope. Hope gathers all that is wrong and all that is right and brings it before the Lord and says, you're going to touch all of this. Advent says, there's enough good in the world for me to know that a greater good is coming. I've seen, like they say in the psalm, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And because we know that, because we remember what he did once, we can sow in tears today knowing that there's going to be a reaping to come because we know that if he did it once, he'll do it again. And all of those doings one day will amount to a great eternal doing that wipes away every tear, vanquishes death forever, and brings justice and righteousness to bear onto the earth. There's enough good for us to not despair. Hurt? Yes. Be anxious? Yes. Feel broken and sad? Pine? Long? Yearn? Yes. But despair? No. We don't want to be an optimistic church. We want to be a hopeful church. We don't want to deny reality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, God loves human beings. God loves the world. Not ideal human beings, but people as they are. Not an ideal world, but the real world. Jesus loves what is. And we are tempted to spend so much of our time wanting what is to either be what was or what we hope will be. And we miss the beauty and the tears, the celebration and the mourning of the present. Where Jesus is. I am Before he's the past or the future, he is now the past and the future. Sowing in tears, knowing that we will reap with shouts of joy. There is no better sentence, I think, that describes Advent. This adventure that we're on, this exhilarating journey of entering new things. Listen, I... (laughs) 2019 was such a dope year. 2020, meh. World went a little crazy. 2021, I'm hoping to get surgery on my right foot because it was injured a while back, a long time ago. I wanted to have a proactive surgery so that it would not be, get worse as, I'm, as I get older. But when we moved and the Lord blessed us, I legit stepped on one of my daughter's toys and I hurt my left foot. So I get a surgery on it. And then there's an infection. So I get another surgery. All of that is doing well. And the doctor's like, okay, so you're ready to finish what we started. We got to do surgery on that right foot still. And I'm like, I forgot I had a right foot. (laughs) He's like, well, you've been walking on that right foot that originally needed surgery for a long time and walking on it a lot harder because your left foot has been so injured. (sighs) Okay, good. And so I'm sitting here saying, what is this journey? Just accept what is. Some of us grew up in church culture that said, don't accept what is if it's negative. Don't claim it. Don't declare it. Don't say, listen, if Jesus didn't name evil, you ready? He wouldn't have cast one demon out of one person. What is your name? My name is Legion. Legion, come out. 
If he didn't name evil, if he didn't claim it, if he didn't confess it, he never would have taught a sermon and he never would have cast a demon out and he never would have been able to proclaim good news. Because in order to bring newness and healing, you have to admit what is wrong. You have to say what it is. You can't deny it. You will never move another step farther until you say, I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with anxiety. I had a bad attitude today. I could have talked better to my family. Anyone? I could have done better. On my way home from church, I could have done better. So you have to sit there and say, Lord, ah, again? Really? And I'm like mostly upset for my wife because I just have to sit there again. Which... I used to think was a blessing. Jacqueline, this is such a blessing. You get to be with me for so long without me ever leaving the house. Aren't you lucky? And then I sat with myself twice and was like, this is terrible. I feel so horrible for her right now. So let's get Jacqueline up on some prayer chains. Can we do that, please? Get her on a prayer chain before she hangs me from a prayer chain. You have to just look at what is. David has to go down into the valley and stare Goliath in the face. What is it for you? What are you going through? What is your third surgery? What is your Goliath? What are you looking at that your body is saying, it's not that bad. It's okay. I'm doing better than this. I'm more than a conqueror. I don't have to. And the Holy Spirit's like, shut up. You're scared. Say it. You're insecure. Talk about it. I don't know how many people watch Harry Potter or are going to judge me for loving it. But until they started saying Voldemort's name, he gained in power. But as soon as they started saying his name, he started to lose it very fast. You have to say the truth about what is going on. Advent says, tell the truth, and God will always heal what we're most honest about. He won't, it's not that he won't, that he'll refuse to heal us. It's just that he wants us to be part of our healing because he's not controlling. He's a God who wants to share his life with us. So he will wait you out because he wants you to be part of your healing. He wants you to push through the feelings, the emotions, and get honest. So sowing in tears. What a perfect phrase for Advent. What a perfect phrase for the Christian life. I'm going to sow, which is a hopeful thing, but I'm sowing in tears because I'm struggling to have hope. I know you've been there. I know everybody in this room has been there. It's just, here's the reality. I don't know that everyone in this room, I don't know that you let yourself know that you're there when you're there because it feels unfaithful. But tears are the only way to water your hope. The more tears the greater the harvest God has for you. Can you hand me my phone, hon, for a second? I'll take out my cell phone in a dramatic turn of events here. Hold on one second. Rain's coming. Interesting. The Giants are playing later. Okay. Don't. You all better be quiet about the Giants. Just wait. I texted, I texted my cousin this morning, and I said, I had this thought. If you, could, if you went to church today and you could hear a sermon about anything, what would you want to hear? Yeah, maybe. He said, for me personally at the moment, I would need to hear something along the lines of how when things are really hard for a length of time, 
it feels like they'll never be on the upswing again. So I would need some scripture or some sermon that is relative to landing the plane in a balanced way and not only focusing on the seemingly imminent nature of the crash. He's saying, I just want to know that it's going to be okay because right now, and, and my poor guy, he's got a two-year-old daughter in the house and his wife is nine months pregnant. Brad, I get it. I get it. You're just, you want to know that it's going to be okay. So in tears was my answer. So in tears. You're not going to feel good, but that doesn't mean that good isn't around the corner. We have to take and carry the burden and the frustration and the angst, and we still need to sow. He who goes out weeping, carrying his sheaves with him, it's, there's not going to be a moment. You'll never get to sow in a season of just joy. Sometimes you will have to sow because we sow because we don't have. And so we have to sow in tears. Instagram and TV and movies and shows and people who are living under a rock will tell us, just be positive, just be positive. But nothing grows in positivity. It grows in hope. Positivity alone is not real. It's Novocaine. It numbs. We're drunk on it. It makes us delirious, but it's not real. I said to somebody this week, I am convinced that Jesus feels more pain than Satan because goodness is more sober than evil. Sober people feel it all. People who are drunk on success, drunk on ambition, drunk on all sorts of things and all sorts of vices, they don't feel, and in some ways, believe it or not, you ready? This is not going to sell any tapes. I love saying tapes. <laughs> Christians should be people who look and feel more stressed than people who don't believe in God. Why? Because we are facing the truth of what's happening and not hiding from it. So it's a hard life because you're not hiding from the hardness of the life. Advent says face it, stare at it, weep over it, but keep sowing. Why? Why? God delivered Israel from Egypt, and Moses sang, and Miriam sang, and then they were in exile before they knew it, back in captivity. And in Psalm 126, they sang again. They sang again. And all of a sudden, they sowed in tears. They sang in tears. And all of a sudden, Mary sings the song of their prosperity. But then Mary, after she sings with a harvest in her belly, she has to sow in tears as her son is being persecuted and killed. But Jesus stands up, and he sows in tears. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed, how I've yearned, how I've advented to hover over you like a mother hen hovers over her babies, but you have not recognized the time of your visitation. And he goes to the cross weeping, sowing in tears. And then when he raises from the dead, heaven sings again, and we say it every single week. We say, therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. What? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. Moses sang, but then had to sow again. Mary sang, but had to sow again. Jesus wept in tears and sowed in tears. And heaven is singing this song. So now what? Now the church gets to sing heaven's song, but we also have to sow. There is this rhythm since the beginning of the grand meta-narrative, undergird narrative of Scripture that is a narrative of people sowing and then weeping and then singing and then having to sow again. And guess what? You might be weeping today. You will sing one day. But after you sing one day, you need to hear somebody say, you're going to weep again. Mary sang and wept. Jesus sang and wept. Heaven is now singing because of the reaping that is Easter, the first fruits of the resurrection. So what do we sing? Our job is to sing all of their songs. It's to sing the song of Moses. It's to sing the song of Miriam. It's to sing with Mary. It's to weep with Jesus. It's to join heaven and angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn and proclaim the glory of his name. It's our job to sing Christ has died. Say it with me. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That is Advent. What is it? Christ has, Christ is, and Christ will come again. That is the, N.T. Wright calls it the portable version of Advent. It's the Advent you can keep in your pocket. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ. Listen. The worship team, or John and Steph today, can come on up. The hallmark moment will happen. You all know the hallmark moment? Let me tell you, and really quick, it'll take me 20 seconds, every hallmark movie that ever existed. Some lonely firefighter guy, or a mechanic, or somebody who owns, like, his great-grandfather's bakery. Falling onto hard times. Good looking dude, though. Good looking dude. Falls onto hard times in the small little town, maybe in Colorado or Montana, someplace where it will definitely snow at midnight on Christmas Eve. He's just struggling to put the neighborhood uh, Christmas party together and doesn't know if it's going to happen this year. And then some Manhattan chick who's like really high strung, super successful, whose boss sent her to do a piece on this. Montana project and she's so annoyed to be there and doesn't like anybody and can't get off Microsoft Excel to save her life. She meets this guy and they go back and forth and she starts to fall in love with him and then he gets promoted and starts to be different and all and then it's Christmas Eve and the party happens and it starts to snow and they kiss and then Hallmark doesn't tell us anything else because likely they got divorced but they will stop it there to say that they lived happily ever after. Yes? I watched, yeah, I watched this stuff. (laughs) Gotta be honest. Gotta be honest. Listen, with my job, I'm not trying to watch Mission Impossible or Born. I need to watch Fool's Gold. I need to watch Christmas with the Cranks. I need to, like, I just need simple stuff. The Hallmark moment is coming. It's coming. There will be a moment where the one we've been in love with shows up and takes the church to himself forever. 
and he will wipe away every tear, that one little silver teardrop that comes down in the thing. Looks like a Christmas ornament. <laughs> He'll do that. But it's not going to happen in 91 minutes. It's going to take the rest of human history for that to happen. And what the world needs is not a church that is living, trying to chase down the end of a Hallmark movie. No one ever says to their kids at noon, let's go look at Christmas lights. Because Christmas lights only look good when it's dark. Your tree looks the best when all the other lights are off. It's not the bright shining lights of heaven yet that illuminate the day to the point where there will not need to be a sun. It's right now, it's just the twinkle of dimly lit ambient lights that remind you that we can get through the night. That joy, say it with me, will come in the morning. Our job is to be those Christmas lights. To not deny, but inhabit the dark spaces. When God brings us into darkness, he's not bringing us into darkness to punish us. He's bringing us into darkness because darkness needs us to be there. So we can twinkle just a little bit in the darkness until Jesus comes back. Let's stand to our feet this morning. advent we will experience the most is always the advent of the present. Jesus showing up constantly. Not many people were here when he was born, maybe one or two of you. We'll all be here in one way when he returns. But we are always here when he shows up every day. And one of the ways he does it the most is in this table. Let's close our eyes. On the night when our Lord was betrayed, he gave thanks. And after giving thanks, he took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. I'm placing myself into your darkest moments into your disorientation. I'm placing myself into your insecurities. I'm allowing myself to be as broken as you feel every day. I'm going to look as if my life has failed the way that you feel yours may have. I'm going to weep, let this cup pass, because I know that you'll need me to weep it because you weep it too. I will say, why have you forsaken me? Because you feel forsaken. I will say I thirst because you're dying of thirst. I'll become bread because I know you're hungry. I'll die because we're all going to. I will rest peacefully in death for a day to show you you don't need to be afraid of it. 
I will come out of the grave and I will not run to my enemies and gloat. I will not shove it in the face of the people who pierced me. I will start to pull weeds in a garden so that people think I'm a gardener. That's what he's saying when he's saying, this is my body broken for you. I will fall into every single valley that you have ever fallen into. And by the time you land, you will only land on me because I got there first. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Descend on these broken pieces that are all of us in this room and somehow do for us what you do for the bread. Make us the body of Christ so that the world could feed on us, so that we could say to the world this week, this is our life given for you. And if we feel consumed, we can come back to this table and be remade again so we can offer ourselves again. I pray that you forgive us of our sins and anoint us for the task of the ministry to bring glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by leaving here and being a river of life mingled with fire to bring life and healing and revival to the world around us. Empower every saint in this room to be Christmas lights in the middle of this most beautiful and most stressful season. Help us to shine dimly in the darkness, to beautify, to show that one day the world will be beautiful. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.